What's good, guys? It's Scoobert Dubert here. So I just released my new record, Moonlight Beach. And I'm going to do a more deep dive on that. But today I wanted to kind of instead reflect on some of the conversations that I've been having about making music. Namely, the conversation I had last week with Phil and how that plays into my new conception of the next record of the planning and the preparation that goes into that. So for people that kind of know what I do and have been listening to this podcast, you probably know that I'm all about pace and trying to level up by doing and by producing and exploring artistically. It's, it, you know, it's, it's more about uh, the things that are revealed as you're making a record um, to me at this point. That, that's like, that's my whole thing. And so on to the next one, right? Just dropped one. I'm already actually six songs into this new record cycle. Um, soon to be seven by the end of this week. And some of the stuff that I've been thinking about is about like meeting the moment, taking what I'm doing up to that next level. But what even is that next level? Because I've never been there before, right? It's not like I have some historical project that's been bigger or more successful or more reach than where I'm at right now. And it's not like I have huge, crazy reach, but right now today across uh, 209,000 monthly listeners. And I'm super, super proud of that. Job's not finished. Super, super proud of that. But the, the place that I'm pointing my ship is, you know, I just want to make music full time. I don't, I don't want to have to have another job, but in order to get there, it, it's going to take quite a bit more growth if not doubling, probably more. Like realistically, I think I probably need to be at that five, six hundred thousand, if not more, to be able to be at a point that collective music income can support my life in San Diego, which is not a cheap place to live. And I'm not saying like live lavishly, I'm saying like pay rent and eat. But in order to get to that point, it's not just like, I need to make more music. It's not just, oh, you need to write a hit song or something like that. I really think that at this stage, I need to make music that is bigger than what I've ever been able to make in terms of like depth. Like, I think I need to grow as a person, as an artist. And the, the conversation that I just had with Phil really kind of solidified some of that. So when he was talking about going to the source of audio that was resonating with me on an even deeper level than just let's switch out the kick drum beater let's choose a different snare drum or a different guitar or a different amplifier reminded me of back when i was in college i was playing um just in my my own band and i had a great bass player who was doing it because he's an up-and-comer too and he was doing it for free and we were just we played we toured a little bit and his name was Nick Campbell. Um, I used to call him Thor and he's still a friend, uh, but he's, you know, he's doing big things. He's played in Wolfpack and he's done um, scary pockets and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I remember though, I was probably 18 when we were doing one of our early practices. And my thing back then was just practice, 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 practice. I was like, you know, let's get in and let's play this song a thousand times kind of thing. Let's just brute force our way through. And obviously I still have a little bit of that, but 
at one point, he ended up calling the session, like, we're going to leave now. And he told me that the best thing that we could do is to work on our own individual musicality. And what he was really saying is like, I got to get better, right? But he was right. I did have to get better because there was no amount of just practice, like like playing the song over and over and over again. It was going to make up for the lack of my own personal development artistically and musically. I didn't have enough just juice. I didn't have enough pocket awareness, like understanding where I'm supposed to be in terms of time and feel. I hadn't developed a lot of that musicality. The stuff that I work on every day now, um, and always will probably, you know, but I didn't, I didn't even know what to work on back then. And so what he was saying is like, you need to, you need to focus on the source. It's not, it's not always about changing the snare drum or the stick. Sometimes it's about changing the arm. And one of the cool things that I liked about that conversation with Phil is that like all of us can apply that to ourselves, no matter what we do creatively, professionally, anything that the biggest impact that you can make on the output is as close to the input as possible. You want to make a great film, have a great storyboard or have a great cinematographer. Like you can make up for not having a great camera if you have XYZ. Obviously a great camera would help, but it's like if you have great lighting, it's going to be a lot easier to take a nice picture. If you have a great, you know, subject plus great lighting, there you go. It's like, oh yeah, you could even have a kind of a bad camera. It could be a great shot. It's like those um, shot on iPhone billboards, perfect lighting, perfect subject, all this kind of stuff, shot on iPhone. It's like, yeah, you... It almost like the iPhone is the afterthought. They paid really good people to do that. But that, that's, uh, that's the beauty of advertising, right? You can, you can kind of delude. Not to say that iPhones can't take good pictures, but I'm not going to take as good of a picture as my wife will on iPhone because she's a better photographer than I am. She's got more skill. She's got more source. But that was one of the things I was, I was thinking a lot about, just like personal growth and what I want to push into this new record because fundamentally, I want to grow worthy of success, not just like from a self-doubt perspective, but like I want to make really, really good stuff. I want people to listen to my music and feel inspired the rest of their lives to do cool stuff because they heard it from me. I want them to really get my, my, my lens, my prism, my vision, and then evaluate it in whatever they, way they want. But I'm trying to like almost let go of a certain sense of technical ability and try to flow it more into an artistic ability because fundamentally I don't really care if they go, wow, man, that guy's got a really good mic placement. That guy really compresses audio well. It's like, yes, I want to do that. But you can have like a really boring furniture design and have the best woodworker make it but it's like it's kind of boring so like the craft is important but the the idea is even more important so I'm trying to like refocus my brain on the idea on the source on like who I am it's fun so after that conversation of course I wanted more of that because I was really inspiring with Phil so I started to listen to the creative act by Rick Rubin to um you know get a little bit of the production perspective along with Phil's, um, you know, works, uh, you know, workshop and uh, craftsman like perspective. Obviously, they're both 
very involved in every step of these creative projects, but Rick Rubin has got that kind of guru <laughs> sensibility. Um, and it's funny listening to that book because he's like, he's like a pre-Socratic philosopher. He actually quoted um, somebody named Heraclitus, whether or not he intended to or not, but the quote of you can't step in the same river twice because it's always moving. And I think that um, the reason why I dropped that is I just actually think that that kind of, that kind of thinking, that old mystic kind of thinking is really cool with music because it, it almost helps you get out of the technical because we, we like necessarily have to spend so much time in the technical. Like I got to learn my scales. I got to learn my pocket, got to develop, got to learn all the tricks with EQs and all the things that I cover on this pod. You got to learn it. It's important if you want to do, if you want to wear all these different hats. You can hire other people to wear them too. Uh, but then you lose some specificity. So it's cool to be able to wear those hats. But it's easy to get bogged down in those details and bogged down in the technicality and bogged down in just being the craftsman and lose some of the sense of source or idea. And that's where, you know, the guru type kind of guy comes in. But I'm, I'm trying to explore that in my own, my own way. Because there's, there's an easy way to default to the way that it's been done. Because it's worked. And like when you're at my little stage where I'm going, okay, you know, I've got 209,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty good reach. It's not enough to like pay my bills or do anything like that, but it's not too far. It's like, hey, if you double that, mm, you know, now we're talking. Now it's like, now it's starting to get in the realm of maybe things can add up and then you can kind of do this full time. So naturally you go, okay, so I want to make a classic record. I want to make something that stands the test of time and rises up into what I'm fully capable of and all that good stuff. So then from there you go, okay, how were classic records made? And that's where, that's where I, I, I kind of want to like let in on my thought process so that hopefully other people don't get necessarily trapped in that old school style of thinking. Because the stuff that Rick Rubin is even saying in, in the book not necessarily to criticize, just to provide an alternate perspective of how another artist is approaching it. He says, you know, open yourself up to like the universe, listen to more things, expose yourself to more situations, be able to expose yourself to the, you know, the ether, be able to get ideas in the same way that um, authors write in coffee shops and they find new characters. It's that kind of thing. Like go out in the world, absorb it discover an idea, then foster that idea, then explore that idea, then demo that idea and finalize the idea and then craft and execute the idea. By splitting it up into so many different sections, it actually, I think, facilitates and necessitates involving more people. Like if I were to like demo all of my stuff and then hand it over and have session musicians play it and then have a producer come in and then record it in a big studio and have to schedule all this time and get this budget and all this kind of stuff, it adds all of this complexity that I know would make it sound technically better, but I don't know if it would have necessarily more emotional punch because what I'm finding is that I'm able to shape some of these ideas in the flow of things. So there's like this, there's a John Lennon quote that uh, Rick Rubin has brought up in this book talking about basically once you start a song, finish it like in that setting, finish it. And I actually don't believe that. I don't buy like maybe old school, right? 
and maybe there, there are times, there are totally times that I've done this, a bunch of stuff where it's like, I've, I finished the whole song top to bottom, maybe edit it a little bit later, but like that's get on the flow and get it all out. Totally get it. Not criticizing that, but I'm, I am saying that there is a, there's something special about instead being like, okay, I have this nugget of an idea. Let me develop it. Let me record it. Let me record some different takes. Let me comp some stuff, maybe edit a little bit, get it kind of feeling cool. And now it's like, oh, no, no, no. I was able to polish this and notice that this is actually a, a like half-baked idea that should be in a different section or a different song or realize like, oh, if I layered on harmonies, then this is like way cooler. And now I've completely added a nucleus to this entire song. So say like you're recording a hook recording a chorus and I'm, you know, I, I just wrote it. So I'm trying to play it down. I'm literally doing this right now. Um, like this week, um, playing it down and I'm realizing that there are a few words that don't quite fit. And there's a little melody that's got like kind of a weird pause because I'm recording it. Not if I was just writing it, just like writing it on an acoustic guitar. I don't know if I would have noticed because it was good enough. But because I was putting it in the context of the feel and the recording and the the emotion and like freezing it into time, like in, in, into the recording session, I was able to analyze it in a in a way that oh is this like living up to the idea I had in my head, and the answer was no. So I made a few tweaks and then it turned into this like different thing that I thought I couldn't have accessed accessed if I was just recording it in the classic write it on acoustic guitar, demo it, give it to a producer, book the studio, doing all of those things, I would have lost it. And it would have taken me all the way to get into the studio and been like, something's wrong. But by that time, you've already spent the money, you've already hired the musicians, it's already done, you have a limited time, you have a little bit of budget, and poof, there's that record that just doesn't quite sound right. So that's the way that I'm like getting around, or at least maybe even justifying not having the big budget. Cause I think that like Phil was saying, it's not necessarily about the gear. It's not necessarily about the microphone and all this kind of stuff that helps, but it's more about the performance. It's more about the source. And by recording something as you're writing it, you're able to access like a deeper level of intimacy and of familiarity with the idea that just came down from that ether. And you're laying it down right there. And I, like I was talking um, with Okudoxish, um, you know, frequent collaborator um, with this Scoob project, and he's got awesome music. And we were talking about it because he uh, he was he was saying like, yeah, the the day you write the song is the best time it sounds because there are these little tiny nuances of how you say that word when you wrote it, or the way that these things rhyme in kind of a weird way, and the the pronunciation is a little off, and the the rhythm, the nuances are all baked in there. And then when you come back to it in two, three weeks, you might've flattened it out. You might've flattened that performance and, and gone back to your normal instincts rather than what the idea wanted you to do in the beginning. If that makes sense. It's like, it's like I have a certain way of playing guitar, right? But if I take a guitar solo in the moment, I might break out of that mold because I'm in the moment. And whatever's going on in the track inspired me to do something different or whatever I ate that day, you know, like how much sleep I had, all those things can filter in. And then you just kind of take a left turn where you normally would have taken a right turn. But because you had the recording rolling, which we have the ability to do infinitely, you capture it 
and then it changes you. And that's the whole premise of this project is like, I'm always improvising everything. You know, it's, it's every single song has got that element of play, of fun, of growth, of unexpected and combining these disparate kind of steps from like songwriting to demoing to production to mixing by instead combining it all. So you're doing it all at once. It creates that room for improv. It allows that, that craft to bleed into the idea and vice versa. And then I think it also allows for more creativity in the craft. And this isn't like throwing shade on um, classic uh, producer engineers. I'm super, super impressed by what they do. And it is creative deeply. But when you connect all of these things at once, like you can do way weirder stuff than if you had an emotional arms distance. When you're in that creative flow, you can be like, I'm going to add a phaser here and it's going to be totally bizarre and it totally whacked. And I never, ever would have done that if I was following like a production playbook or any sort of like, oh, I'm trying to make a hit record. So I'm going to need to act like it's a hit record. The things that I'm, I'm starting to realize and I'm hoping will bleed into this new set of music that comes after Moonlight Beach is like finding simplicity and finding chaos and improvisation and f- play and combining those two things to create something that I think eventually could be considered like classic because it won't be trying too hard. It'll be a fun, creative exploration of skills without having to make it about the skills. Like it will be about the idea and the fun. And that's, that's one of the, the tricks that I, I think moving quickly can allow you to do, especially when you've honed your skills a little bit, because then it's like you get out of your own way just necessarily, you know, you're moving so fast that you can't get in your own way. Otherwise you slow down and then you break the flow and you can always come back and edit stuff. And I do, I totally do. And you can always take breaks and and refresh and come back. I do that too. But I don't want to wait multiple weeks to finish an idea because it's here. And the longer I wait, the easier it will be to slip back into old habits, to overanalyze, to slow down in a way that ends up becoming destructive. There's a sweet spot and I won't always hit it, but that's, that's the goal of this next cycle is trying to like leverage those skills in a way that they don't become overbearing. And I'm excited to talk to more people about that and, and develop this more. Cause like, hopefully, you know, hopefully this project does well. And then this can be, um, something I can talk with more and more people to and see if it resonates with them. But there's, there's a beauty to the growth. There's a beauty to these cycles. There's also a beauty in not taking too much time between them, even though it's a little hard, like I'm not going to lie. It would be nice to take some time between these records, but that's, I think that's my, um, my self doubt speaking where if I'm like really in the moment, then I I don't think I need time between records because I'm constantly growing as a person and changing. And so my art art should grow with it, but it's, it's not a, uh, it's not a simple like light switch to flick. 
but that's part of what this this fun of this time is because I want to get up and meet that moment just like we were talking about sports and stuff that it's it's really really special when you push past your boundaries and you um you can you can realize that that river keeps flowing and you're never going to step in the same spot twice and that's that's how I kind of keep going back to that well and keep thinking about the next record is it's necessarily not going to be different than the last one because it can't be and not trying to make it like the last one trying to make it this new version of self and this new um, expression of goals that's less and less about look what I can do and more and more about look at how I feel and like how it feels like to be in the world at my age and in my my spot and hopefully that resonates and becomes universal one of the cool things that I read in the Rick Rubin thing was um, the personal is universal. And uh, I think that's interesting because I, I was actually, that was a nice little challenge to me because I, I sometimes I think that my lyrics get a little bit too, you know, detailed or of the now. And um, I was getting a little bit worried about that because I want to make music that appeals to more people. That's like bigger. Um, but I also like the idea of, if you get to really know me and if I'm un, you know, fearless in, in telling that story, then I think that you'll be able to find universal truths within it. One of, uh, when I was, I, I did acting when I was in, um, high school, really liked it. And, um, Stanislavski was a acting theorist, acting coach, um, part of the method acting school kind of comes out of his, um, style of teaching, but I read, one of his books. And, um, one of the things he first talked about was how, if you are honest enough, any performance is interesting. And he showed that by going in front of the class and just watching TV, fake TV, but he gave such an honest, unabashed performance. Some of it was unflattering the way that he's scratching his belly and slouching and watching TV drooping his mouth and drooling a little bit and laughing and scoffing and falling asleep. But he was able to enthrall those students because he was so honest and so real. That's the, that's the unique energy that I'd like to capture all still within a pop, you know, fun, catchy framework because I love that music. But how can I, how can I show more of myself and be less afraid to do it and be willing to be cringy or kitschy or cliche because some of those things are just inherent in who I am too so these are some of the stuff this is some of the stuff that I'm I'm thinking about going into this next cycle I just wanted to share it because this kind of like artistic in, in, introspection is a huge huge part of the process of next for an artist and this is mine I'm not trying to be like too self uh I don't know, aggrandizing. It's more, it's almost the opposite. It's like trying to be like, okay, I'm going to go climb another mountain. Can I do it? I'm going to try. It's more of that kind of feeling. That's part of the reason why I like climbing mountains is it feels the same. And sometimes I get my best musical ideas when I'm out there. So I'm really excited for this summer to go out into the wilderness. But that's, that's the idea of the next record, the next thing, making more. It's not necessarily just to be more successful. It's more like this is the way I feel happiest is to keep making, keep expressing, keep exploring, 
And I think that the path forward is to become more honest, less afraid, less technical, and simpler, but with a a certain nuanced, um, I don't know, nakedness, <laughs> like being very personal, like get, getting in there. So that that's what I'm going to try to do, even if it's a little fun little pop song. I hope that the lyrics and the the way that they're personal and the way that the melodies and stuff hit, I hope that you can you can go on that journey with me. And in the meantime, I hope you listen to Moonlight Beach because I, I should probably talk about that album and hype that up more, which I, I'm hyped about. I do like that album. Um, it's not to not to blow that off at all. It's just you know that race was was run. It's time to run another. It's time to climb another mountain, and I'm gear enough to do it. So wish me luck and I wish you luck in any of your artistic adventures. Hopefully this sparked something or at least changed, changed the way that uh, maybe you'll hear my music or think about my next, my next cycle. Anyway, I am Scoobert Dubert. You can check out my music at scoobertdubert.pizza. That's www.scoobertdubert.pizza. And uh, be sure to like and subscribe this pod if you're into it. Um, we'll be getting more guests and things like that coming in. But I also like doing these solo pods every once in a while just so I can rant and rave and <laughs> let you in on some of my my journey. This is way longer than I thought it was going to be. I actually tried to record this podcast earlier and it didn't come out very well. I'm hoping that this came out okay. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Be sure to share the pod with people if, if you think it would be beneficial to their artistic growth. And I look forward to talking to you next week. See ya.